Welcome to Pottery Visited, episode 52. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering chapter 15 of Prisoner of Azkaban, the Quidditch final. Or, as we like to call it, uncharacteristically, a badass. So we opened the chapter off where it left off at the end, where we find out that Hagrid lost his hearing about Buckbeak, and there, he's going to be sentenced to be executed and I find it nice that Hermione told Harry and Ron, despite being kind of in a fight with them, that she knew that they would want to know, despite the fact that she's been doing everything for this hearing. Yeah, definitely. I also think it's nice that Ron quickly jumps in and is like, oh my goodness, I'm going to help with the appeal. I swear I'm going to be a part of this now. I kind of think they probably don't have a lot of experience with like, crime and punishment and like the judicial system so like in their minds it's probably this vague thing that like ron isn't that concerned about at first he's like oh he'll go to court he'll get a fine whatever i don't know how this works and like realizing that like a death sentence was just passed down like makes it so much more real and suddenly he's had this like i think it also kind of shows that their fight in like the background is kind of silly compared to what Hagrid's going through. Yeah, the stakes have changed. Things are different now. There's no petty problems that matter when it's actually a matter of life and death for someone that's, in Buckbeak's case, totally innocent. Like, he was provoked. Yeah. Draco's an asshole. It's all really terrible. And seeing Hagrid's letter and, like, Harry says there's, like, smudge marks on it from when he was crying and stuff. And it's all, like, Hermione's crying at this point. Like, everything's just very emotional. And I'm wondering, is it Ron's willingness to help Hermione with the appeal, despite everything that they've been through, right, through this year, that makes her break down? Because she obviously starts crying when Ron says he's going to help, and then she hugs him, and he gets a bit, like, uncomfortable with all the emotions because he's a 13-year-old boy. But I feel like something just broke in Hermione at this point, and then she was apologizing for Crookshanks eating scabbers and all these things. Yeah. And she is just very upset. I think maybe there's a chance that like, because their feud had been going on for so long, she had thought maybe like their friendship was over forever and that was it. And so like, she had all this stuff going on, but on top of that, she no longer had her friends. When Ron realizes like, okay, I'm reprioritizing being Matt Hermione isn't as important as thing, this thing, this life or death situation with Buckbeak, Hermione realizes that they are still her friends. And like, so that huge thing that she's like, well, I've lost this, it's gone forever. And I have all these things going on, just like immediately slid back into her life. And she was like, oh, no, I still have friends. Like everything isn't garbage. And I feel like when you feel like everything's garbage and then something turns out kind of OK or like you get support you weren't expecting, it completely changes everything. And I think just like finally getting sort of help, even if it's with one aspect of the stuff she's going through from someone who she values is like. It's just too much. She's not, she wasn't emotionally prepared for that, I think. She was almost more um, emotionally prepared for them to be like, sucks to be Buckbeak, we'll send to Hagrid an apology basket of fruits and cheeses. <laughs> like, Yeah, Hermione's going through a lot in this chapter. I think it's pretty tragic how little actual like evidence and like seriousness was put into this case, considering a death sentence was passed down. Like, it's pretty obvious that the judges were blackmailed by Lucius and everyone's pretty aware of that. And I'm like, if it's for a fine, if it's for like someone's viability to run for office, there's all kinds of things where like you never should blackmail people, but it's like not the absolute end of the world. But it's a matter of life and death and everyone knows the reputation Draco has for being a drama queen. There were loads of actual witnesses in the class who saw Hagrid say, 
don't be an asshole to this creature and it won't be an asshole to you. And then saw Draco immediately be an asshole to it. So like, to me, it's entirely not Buckbeak's fault. And like, maybe he shouldn't be allowed around students and shouldn't be part of lessons, which makes sense, or shouldn't be allowed at Hogwarts because there are a bunch of idiot students and that makes sense. And maybe Hagrid should have a fine or like a temporary suspension of his teaching because he did put a potentially dangerous animal around students who are assholes. But Buckbeak being executed for what happened seems like the absolute wrong call from like every side you look at it if you do any actual research or investigation into what happened. And like the only reason any of this is happening is because Lucius is being putting pressure on the judges to lean a certain way. And I think that's abysmal. Yeah. Well, it's very much up Lucius's alley like he blackmailed the governors in the last book to sack Dumbledore so it just shows that like the ministry's pretty corrupt already and that Lucius is already just like lining people's pockets just to vote his way and like give him influence so yeah it's just showing how kind of like messed up it is yeah and I almost feel like by letting themselves be blackmailed in this situation they're just giving Lucius Malfoy more ammunition to use to blackmail them in the future because like they have now openly assigned someone, like, to death because they're being blackmailed. So now, like, all of their rulings could be called into question in the future if this ever got out. And that's something Lucius Malfoy can hold against them on top of whatever he held against them to get them to do this in the first place. Like, it's such a obvious cycle of corruption in the ministry. And, like, again, there's the life of a pretty innocent creature on the line, and it's deeply upsetting yeah i feel like they don't appreciate animals unless they can do something for them i mean a lot of people are like that in the muggle world too a lot of people are like why why would i you know take care of this injured bird it's not going to do anything for me or why would i rescue an animal from a animal shelter like what's that animal gonna do for me some people are like that i mean i can't imagine it myself personally but i know those people are out there where in every circumstance or any relationship it's what can I get out of it? And I guess if unconditional love and snuggles from a pet or animal creature isn't enough for you, then you're an asshole. Just terrible corruption all around. Just the lack of value they place on Buckbeat's life is really sad. And the fact that Draco, as a 13-year-old, thinks this is great, like, there's some, like, psychopathy going on there. Like, he doesn't, he, he's, lied he knows he lied he knew he was being overdramatic he knew that's not how it happened he knew he provoked Buckbeak and he's gonna let Buckbeak die and he doesn't even seem like a little bit ashamed like oh I just wanted Harry and Hagrid to get in trouble it got out of hand and now I feel a little guilty there's none of that he's actively proud of what he did and that's like Jesus get therapy (laughs) get therapy because this isn't gonna end well yeah like, Malfoy sees everything as a competition, so this is him winning the competition, even though it's not competition, and this is, like, real lives that are affected. Actual life and death circumstances and repercussions, and yet. So Hagrid's just very sad at this point, and, you know, he's trying to keep it together for his classes and everything, but he's very upset, and as they're leaving class, you know, he goes to cry privately in his house, as he should. <laughs> That's his right. And Malfoy is openly insulting Hagrid, and... Harry, Ron, Hermione are all, like, completely upset and pissed off about this, but it's Hermione that actually does something. So she just kind of walks up to Malfoy and just, like, slaps him in the face. And it's just totally, like, 
crazy. Like, I don't know who's more shocked about it, Harry and Ron or Malfoy and Kevin Coyle. Yep. <laughs> Everyone's just kind of like, what just happened? And I also love the image of um, she goes to slap him again, but Ron kind of grabs her arm to like hold her back. And it's really funny because most of the time in confrontations with Malfoy, Harry and Hermione are usually holding Ron back because he's the more aggressive of all of them. So I like the, the role reversal. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely like Hermione spent so many hours working on that case and is so empathetic. And I think similar to the way Hagrid sort of sees himself in creatures because people don't see him as being like an equal person or of equal value because of his half giant blood. I think Hermione feels that way because she's muggle-born and she's like, Draco thinks it's funny to lie and have a creature he sees as less than him killed. And I am someone he sees as less than him. Yeah. So like there's a little extra weight to it for her, I think. And just the exhaustion of all she's going through on top of how much work she put into saving Buckbeak. I can't imagine not slapping Draco or hitting Draco or cursing him horribly. Like, it's times like these where I'm glad Hermione didn't, like, learn a thing or two about, like, the Cruciatus curse yet in the, uh, like, forbidden section of the library. Because, like, if I could make him hurt that much, I mean, it's horrible, but, like, I also think with the self-restraint skills of a 13-year-old, I might have done it. Yeah, I feel like Hermione has, like, she's a rule follower, so she generally believes in the system, but she knows the system here is corrupt, and it's just not, it's not fair, and it drives her crazy. And also, she has all her school stuff, and the time turner driving her crazy on top of it, so she's just kind of, like, she's lost her ability to, like, contain herself, and she just needs to take it out on somebody, and Malfoy is just there. Yeah, I feel like Hermione has a lot of faith in rules, but also, like, the structure of organization. She's very, like, well, you should respect your teacher until they really, really give you a reason not to, and Dumbledore will know what to do, and she's very much, like, thinks that if you work hard, follow the rules, and do the right things, you will get your desired proper outcomes. And I think it's a bit of a shock to the system for her to be engaging with the government sort of in a way like this and the law and having done all the right things and being on the correct side of the issue and to lose. Yeah. She's just like, I don't, it's like such a come to Jesus moment for her where she's like, wait a minute, like doing the right thing and doing things how they're supposed to be done doesn't always mean it's going to turn out well. Like sometimes the bad guys win, you know, and that's such a hard thing to come to terms with. Especially for her. I just like the idea of Malfoy being scared of Hermione. Like, he knows. <laughs> yeah. He knows he fucked up. Hermione's kind of crazy. I feel like as a, a wizard in wizarding society, Draco doesn't often expect physical violence. I feel like. So he's a little caught off guard by being slapped. He's like, oh, she slapped me. And it hurt and it was awful. But there's a part of him that just never expects that. He's like, oh, okay. And then she pulls out her wand and he's like, nope, death. That's death. Like, in my mind, it's like looking down the barrel of a gun. He's like, this woman probably knows how to kill me. She already did the angry muggle thing, and now she's going to do the angry wizard thing, which is kill me. <laughs> like, his whole life flashes before his eyes. He's like, oh, I'm screwed. Ronnie goes kind of crazy when she goes off the rails doing things, so he, he should be afraid. He really should be. Like, honestly, Hermione doesn't know how to kill him yet, but she's pretty close to having enough skill to probably know how to kill him or make him very, very uncomfortable. So he should be afraid. Like, it takes a lot to put her off the rails, but when, when her teacup is overflowing with emotional instability, it overflows hard. Yeah. Do you remember when she had to distract Snape and she decided to light his cloak on fire? Like, that's how unhinged she is. <laughs> There's no, yeah. Yeah, she's all in. She's either not in or she's all in. There's no 
That's why we love her. But uh, they just they have to go to terms class because they're running late. And so Harry will arrive in class and they're doing cheering terms. And when they look around, Hermione's not there. And they're like, well, she was right behind us. Like, where did she go? And they're like, maybe she had to go to the bathroom. It's <laughs> probably it. She just, she just, I mean, makes sense. You know, people pee. Wizards do it too. So, <laughs> um... I think but she didn't turn up the whole lesson. I think the cheering charm at first, it sounds really fun. Like it's just a charm that makes you cheerful. And I think that's great and really fun. But I also think it's one of those spells that like could really easily be used maliciously. Like you can manipulate people a lot easier if they're at ease or in a lighthearted mood. Or like if you're in a dangerous situation and you use the cheering charm to like uplift them so they don't feel the sense of danger as much. So like I feel like... We underestimate a lot of the spells because they're presented as like goofy and kooky. But if you actually think about them, almost every spell can be used maliciously and like could be used to manipulate people. And like, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that I could use a cheering charm, but I don't want to be manipulated. (laughs) Listen, I've got Prozac, you know, I've got my meds. They're basically a cheering charm, I guess. Um... But they're prescribed by a doctor. So I feel like it's kind of one of those things like, like, it should be like, you should have to consent to have a cheering charm done on you, I think. I think that's how it should be with most spells. But like, I think like that should be the circumstances where like, it's good to be made cheerful, but you should know someone's doing it to you and approve of it. Like medical health professionals or even just your friends, but not in a sneaky, manipulative way. In like, you seem down, would you like to be giggly? But uh, after class, Harry and Ron are worried about Hermione because she didn't come to class, which is very un-Hermione-like, and they don't know where she is. They're worried Draco maybe murdered her or something. Yeah, they worried that he did something to her. So they find her in Gryffindor Tower, and she's fast asleep on one of her textbooks, and, like, obviously she's just kind of, like, losing it at this point. What year is it? Who am I? Who are you? Where are we? And when they wake her up, she's just very confused, and she's like, oh, she's like, I forgot to go to Charms, and I feel like that's kind of a hint about, like, her using the time turner, because... Like, in general, you wouldn't forget to go to a lesson. But because she's just doing lessons over, she forgot to go. Yeah. It's not like, oh, at 3 p.m. I have charms. It's like, at 3 p.m. I have charms. And then at second 3 p.m. I have this class. And at third... Ugh, it's too much. It's, I can't even... Yeah, and wrong kind of voices. Like, Hermione, you're doing too much. You got... You, you're like, you're kind of losing it. You're losing your marbles. And so they um, leave to go to divination. Hermione's just very upset that she forgot to go to charm. So she goes and she apologizes to Flitwick. And she's mad because cheering terms are going to be on the exam. And she wasn't there for the lesson. And she's just like, hates divination. So she's just kind of like... It's a bad day. But the lesson, I actually find it kind of cool, this divination lesson, because Hermione's so just kind of out of sorts and stuff, and she doesn't like divination, so she doesn't really respect it as she would any other class. So, like, she kind of joins in with Harry and Ron's jokes and stuff. Yeah, she's messing around. And it's just, like, a lot more carefree. And it's just, like, so funny to see the three of them. Like, Ron tells a joke about, like, seeing fog. In like the crystal ball, and they're all laughing, and like they're all being told off by Trelawney, but and like Hermione never would never do that in any other class. So it's really fun to see. I think it's a little bit like because her faith in like the justice system is a little skewed right now. Her faith in like a lot of other like structured systems is also a little bit crumbling in this moment and she's kind of like the justice system is garbage and people who are supposed to help you don't help you the education system must also be garbage because this teacher is supposed to be teaching me and she's making crap up and so she's just kind of like in this weird state where like 
she's exhausted, but her faith in one institution being let down is making her sort of question or have less faith and respect for other ones. Yeah, I could see her losing faith in, like, systems. So, like, generally, I think old Hermione would have stuck out divination just because she signed up for the class, so she had to see it through. But because she's just like, you know what, this pl- this class is terrible, the teacher's terrible, like, I don't get anything out of taking this class. So, so I don't think that's, maybe that's what led her to walk out, because she doesn't care anymore. It's a bit more jaded. But uh, speaking of Hermione walking out, so... She gets annoyed when Trelawney brings up the Grimm again to Harry, and then <laughs> Trelawney tells her that she has, like, basically a mundane mind, and that she was never going to succeed in this class. And I'm just thinking, like, what would you do if a teacher told you that, like, basically you were le- useless <laughs> at this, like, subject? Hermione doesn't have the mind for it, I think, even if it is real, just because creative thinking isn't really her strong suit, and I think you have to, like, really get your mind into a less analytical place to see things in there. I feel like it's taking like a, a, an art class when you're more like mathematically or scientifically inclined. Yeah. It's kind of like a Rorschach test, you know? Hermione might say, oh, it's an ink blot on paper. But Lavender might be like, oh no, it's a bird coming out of an egg and flying up into the sky. And like, Lavender's not wrong and it could look like that, but it's a little bit your interpretation of it. And I don't think... It's the type of field that Hermione excels at. I think maybe if she had a different teacher, she could have found it more interesting, been taught it in a way that made her like it and made her try harder and like do better. But I don't think it's like the subject she would naturally excel at anyway. I think it's too wishy-washy for her. But still, don't tell a student that. Like, she's not saying it to Hermione because she thinks Hermione isn't in the right class. She's saying it to make Hermione look bad because Hermione made her look bad. It's just like, yeah, things you probably shouldn't say to students, especially 13 year olds. Like I think if I was like in middle school. It's like saying rude things to students because you're feeling petty is Snape's job and Trilwani should stay in her corner. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like if I'm being told that at 13, that kind of would have like really like hurt my feelings. I mean, I would have cried. (laughs) <laughs> I guarantee it. I would have just started crying. Yeah, but. just being told told you're not good enough to be in this class. But yeah, I probably would have started crying. Yeah, I feel like that's that's what separates me from Hermione. I would have cried here and I would have hit Draco somewhere that hurts more. Hermione doesn't uh, just break down into tears like I probably would, but uh, she just, she kind of causes a scene, which is kind of amazing to come from Hermione, that she basically is just like, you know what? fine and she packs up all her stuff and she's like I give up and I'm leaving and like she kicks the door open and <laughs> leaves and she causes like this huge commotion that like it takes forever for everyone to calm down and Trolley's like kind of like in shock for a minute. <laughs> I feel like at the beginning of a school year teachers who've already had students like give you the lowdown they're like okay listen you're gonna have trouble with the Weasley twins they're a disaster but they're gonna get good grades somehow so like if they're slacking off and only distracting each other it's fine really only call them out if they're distracting people around them like pro tips for students and I feel like the binder on Hermione is like she's gonna answer all your questions she's gonna get the best grade she's gonna study so hard if any of your students are struggling with studying and stuff totally ask them to go to her she's your girl and then Trelawney's like this is not what I was promised this is not what I was told I have been misled but a lavender brings up that uh Trelawney predicted Hermione leaving because she said whenever Oma leave us forever like before Easter 
at the begin in her first class, I think. She totally meant Harry dying. She was like, Harry will be dead by Easter. But you know, she has to save face. So she's like, oh yes, of course I saw her leaving, but I hoped things would change. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, like, again, it's one of those things where like, it is correct in that someone did leave forever, I guess. But I mean, I'm just saying like, it's one of those things where like, she isn't wrong. But I don't think it's what she thought it meant. Like, I'm pretty sure when she originally said it, she thought it was Harry would be dead. Yeah, she's just like, like, I thought Harry was going to die. She just really wants him dead. And it's such a twist that, like, the student leaving is of their own volition, not being dead. is like, oh, what a twist. But Harry's still going to die. Mark my words. Don't worry, Harry. You're a goner. Harry Marsh like, in shock with Hermione's attitude today. And they're like, oh, wow, Hermione's having a really bad day. <laughs> yeah. You know? She's just being so un-Hermione-like, but very entertaining. I kind of love Hermione's epic exit. I once had an epic exit from a classroom, and, like, I got more of, like, a... I'm not going to say people applauded me. I'm not that girl. But I feel like it was... I felt more like... I felt really cool about it. I feel like Hermione... I feel like the class was shocked, but not, like, in awe or impressed, except for maybe Ron. You know? I feel like it, it was a mix of, like, such... It being so out of character for her that people are shocked and Ron's probably respecting her a little bit for it because he kind of probably wishes he could do that for a lot of his classes. Yeah, both Harry and Ron are probably like, oh, I probably should have gone with her. (laughs) They're like, I'm afraid, but also, can I do that? (laughs) The last kind of bit of the chapter is all about Quidditch. This chapter kind of goes, like, it's very fast paced. Like, it's all about Hermione and her craziness. And then it's just like, Quidditch, 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 because the final's coming up. It's against Slytherin. It feels like it could have easily been two separate chapters, but just it would have been weirdly short two chapters. So they made it one, but it easily could have been like the chapter, the first chapter could have been like um, apology fruit baskets and court case bad times. And then the third, the, the next chapter could just been like more Quidditch. Like, I don't know. They're separate to me. They're very separate. And there even feels like it's a, a good time for the chapter to end after Hermione's outburst and leaving class. It feels weird to transition from, like, that. Hermione's emotional breakdowns to uh, sports. But here we go. Time for some sports. <laughs> so I think it's pretty interesting. They're talking about how Gryffindor, to win the the Quidditch Cup, doesn't just need to beat Slytherin, but they need to beat Slytherin and get, I think it's 50 points more than them because Slytherin is 50 points ahead of them in the standings. And I think it's super weird that the actual individual goals are cumulative in this playoff series. Like in hockey, in the regular season, you score goals in a game and that doesn't really matter towards the overall standings. It's sort of, but they assign points per wins and ties. And then those tally up to see what your standing is before playoffs. But, like, it's not what that is. It's not like, oh, you won the game, you got two points. Oh, you tied the game, you got one point. It's literally, like, they scored more goals. It's a 50-point difference. And to me, that's crazy because, like, you have one bad game and you get completely destroyed and you're just ruined for the rest of the season because you're so far behind. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. It seems crazy. If only the Leafs could blame it on that. (laughs) (laughs) If only the Leafs had an excuse. Every time people forget we're we're Canadian, we have to mention hockey. It is it is an obligation as a Canadian podcast. We have to bring up how shitty the Leafs are whenever possible. I just think it's crazy that individual goals carry over. It's bananas. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I have no idea how things were done, but you know your hockey. I was just thinking how crazy it is, like how the competitive energy like the whole entire school has. 
like Harry has to walk with a group of like students to keep him like alive basically because the Slytherins are out to like hurt him to get him out of the game and just like other students that don't even play on the Quidditch team are getting into fights about it and it's just like it doesn't seem very healthy at all like I get why school sports are good for like building leadership skills and a bunch of other things and like some competition in between school the school is good but this is like some kind of rivalry you usually have with another school so it feels like it's just already breaking down like the divide between the houses even more I feel like because they're a boarding school and they do not travel to play other teams, they have to sort of have that sense of competition between the houses because it's sort of the only place to have that. Like schools that have just like a junior and varsity teams, they play other schools. That's where the rivalry is. So they kind of like to have sports, competitive sports at Hogwarts, seeing as how they don't travel and play against other teams, they kind of have to have some competition between the houses but it does seem a little bit aggressive i also think it's weird how concerned the students are with some of the slytherin players or slytherin students intentionally hurting harry or harry's broom or some of the other gryffindor quidditch teams because it seems like the teachers do not have that concern like we're hearing about students protecting harry gryffindors who aren't even on the team protecting harry he's not going anywhere alone because he's at risk and it's like if it's that level of risk which it totally is because students are fighting over it the teachers should be involved like some of the adults should be keeping an eye on it they should make it perfectly clear that if any student harms harry potter or any of the gryffindor quidditch team players in any way they automatically forfeit forfeit the entire game and gryffindor wins or some such level of accountability because it just seems crazy that it's all up to the students to protect them like the teachers should have set in stone rules yeah i feel like it's very weird i feel like quidditch has like no real rules it's just kind of like they do things i'm like oh that's quidditch like when they had to play the game in the rain when it was like storming and they're like oh we can't recancel it because you know that's quidditch and i'm like well these are kids this isn't the real world (laughs) this is school yeah and like i get that you can't control the weather but you should as a school be able to control the behavior of some of your students like they're not even like Talking, you don't hear anything about the teachers putting rules in place or like reminding the students like this is the repercussions if you do this thing. It's entirely on the students and it's what's causing all the fights and stuff. And I'm just like, once again, the teachers are grossly neglecting their jobs. It's abysmal. I bet Dumbledore loves it. He just loves the drama. <laughs> yeah, Dumbledore's probably enjoying it. So he's such a drama queen. Dumbledore's a dramatic bitch. I really think he is. He just eats it up. It's ridiculous i also as i'm reading this chapter love the way they write the author love the way the author writes quidditch like i'm really into it as a person who has sports i do watch i'm really am invested in the game i'm following the gameplay almost the same way i would follow an actual sporting event like i'm into it and i'm cheering for gryffindor because they have all of the things in line for you to cheer for them the sympathy the other team's playing dirty it's really easy to not root for the team that's playing dirty gryffindor's the underdogs because they haven't won it in forever slytherin's a larger team they're all portrayed as bullies it's really really easy to cheer for gryffindor which is great but also kind of a little bit sad for like 
like all of the other houses, Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw are cheering for Gryffindor. Gryffindor is cheering for Gryffindor. And it's kind of like, oh, because Slytherins are assholes and everyone hates them. And as a Slytherin who isn't entirely an asshole, I'm like moderately an asshole, but like self-aware. Uh, I think it's really sad. Like imagine being that never mentioned in the book by the author ever nice person Slytherin who's just like, I- I'd like to support my house because they're my house, but they're all assholes and also everybody hates me because I'm a Slytherin even though I'm not like a raging racist who cheats at sports but that's what people think I am because of the house I'm in like I just hate how cut and dry evil they made Slytherin like they'd go on about shades of gray and everyone else there's has good and bad in them except Slytherin house innately evil all of them just like cut and dry they're all bad people yeah it really plays up really plays up the house divide and like we're not supposed to root for Slytherin because Malfoy, we don't like Malfoy, and Malfoy's been terrible this entire book. But yeah, it really kind of shows the already big house divide. It's like the whole school versus Slytherin this early on. Which like is really easy to get caught up in. Like if my team, like the Habs, the Montreal Canadiens, were playing a game and they were playing as dirty as the Slytherin players are playing, I don't think I'd be cheering for my team to win that game. I'd be like, you know what? We're being assholes. This isn't how you play this sport. We deserve to get all the penalties and have our asses handed to us because how dare we? That's not this game. And I feel like I would feel that way if it was this dirty of a game. You know, if the other team didn't have it coming. (laughs) And I don't think the Gryffindors do. So it's hard as a Slytherin to kind of read it and be like, yeah, everybody, everybody loves an underdog and that's the Gryffindors. But it's just kind of sad that there's no saving grace for Slytherins kind of ever in the first few books. It's just like, they're assholes and we hate them. Carry on. Well, before the game uh, starts, uh, the night before, I guess the morning of, Harry wakes up early to get some water and he sees Crookshanks meeting up with the dog Harry has assumed has been the Grim. And he's thinking, oh, if like Crookshanks can see that dog, then it's not like a vision or like an omen. It must be like an actual dog. It's like a little... He tries to get Ron to see it, but Ron's sleeping. But it's kind of like a little foreshadowing hint to later on. So they go to the match, and it's really funny because they describe, like, everyone's all dressed up. So all the Gryffindors have all, like, their Gryffindor colors on. And it describes Snape as even wearing, like, green robes for, like... He wore a color. Yeah, I was just, like... Yeah. I just, like, love the idea of Snape. I don't like Snape. But the fact that he's, like, dressing up for it. Like, he's, he's competitive, and he's into it, too. Just as much as McGonagall. I think it's interesting to think about Snape in this circumstance because, like, he definitely has a narrative in his mind of how the world has treated him and how society views him. And the narrative is, like, everybody hates me. Everyone thinks I'm the worst. Everyone has mistreated me. Almost everyone. And that's how he's, he's very vilified in his own mind. And I feel like watching a game like this, where, like, he, who is not one of the Slytherin players who's playing dirty can feel the animosity and the hatred and the vilification his house gets. And, like, his house deserves it during this game, or at least the players do. But, like, it's such an example of, like, how it's really easy to look at a thing and have it be, like, an affirmation about, like, your internalized monologue or the internalized storyline. And to him, it's sort of everyone hates Snape and disrespects Snape. And in this case, it's like, oh, look, the entire school hates my Quidditch team. The entire school hates me. It's just interesting to almost think like sometimes Lee Jordan's commentary exists inside of Snape's head. Oh, look at those big dumb Slytherin jerks. I hate those big dumb. They're the worst. All of them. And Snape's just like, they think we're the worst. 
I want to lead Jordan like monologue in my head. <laughs> That'd be fun. But when the game starts, uh, Harry notices that like they, I guess they kind of rearranged the Slytherin team just to be a bunch of like really big guys, and then there's just like tiny little Malfoy. So just buff dudes. In the hockey world, it's called a goon usually, or an enforcer, like a player who's just big and there to sort of keep the other team in line, or in this case, just beat up the other team. So you can see like the difference in strategies where Gryffindor team is just like very well chosen for their positions and like they're all very talented whereas other ones just like you know we're just gonna beat people up <laughs> and like there's a lot of really good logic to the actual like formatting of the of the Gryffindor team like Harry is pretty small for his age and he's it makes sense to be a seeker when you're small and quick yeah I want to talk about some of the dirty plays because I remember there was one reading this where I guess Flint or one of like the main chasers grabs I think Angelina or Katie's head and he's like oh I thought she was the quaffle <laughs> and she has like a cartwheel over her brew on him and there's one time where like Fred in retaliation like I think they like ran into someone on purpose and he like throws a bludger at the back of their heads so they break their like they smash their nose on their broom and it's just like <laughs> some of like the plays were like so crazy and I think someone tried to grab at wood or something when they were trying to like do a goal and Madame Hooch is here being like, what the fuck, you guys? <laughs> like, yeah, they knocked, like, a bludger at him or something, which you're not allowed to do if you're not in, like, the scoring zone or whatever. Yeah, it's like in soccer when you're, like, you're not allowed to do anything to the goalie in, like, a certain area. I wonder if there's such thing as, like, clean checking, like, clean hits that are allowed, like, a bit of a bump. Oh, if he's carrying the, if he or she is carrying the quaffle, you can whack them a little bit on the side because they have possession and that's the rules or like things like that. I wonder what clean checking is because it sounds like it's all mostly dirty checking. <laughs> I love when Harry gets into it though. He sees all the Slytherins going after their chaser who has the quaffle and he goes at them so fast to make them scramble. And I'm like, it's fun to see him like doing things outside the traditional role of his position in the sport. He's like, wait, I can participate in like the offense besides this. Especially because he knows he has the best broom there, too. So he's like, well, I can just mess around. But I also love uh, Lee's commentary. is also great, as usual. Uh, he swears into the megaphone as Slytherin scores. And McGonagall, like, tries to, like, pull it, pull it away. Which is great. And she kept saying, like, be unbiased, be unbiased. But then when Malfoy grabs onto Harry's broom when he sees the snitch, McGonagall's pissed off. So she doesn't even stop him from, like, swearing into the megaphone. And she's, like, shaking her fist at Malfoy and, like, her hat falls off. And I just love competitive McGonagall. <laughs> I really wish we got to see more furious McGonagall. Because sports-obsessed McGonagall... It's just, she's beside herself with anger. She's fully done telling Lee Jordan how to behave properly. And she's fully on board with all the Slytherin shit talking now. She's like, hellfire. We shall rain down hellfire upon them, you know? Yeah, I wish I could see like an angry Mickey Smith, like shaking her fists at the Quidditch game. She would probably do it so well. Like, I bet that's scary. I bet she is scary angry. Like, because Snape is like constantly in like a, a dark smolder like he's like the ashes in the fire that aren't big and vibrant but they're burning and they're hot and it would hurt but McGonagall angry is probably like an explosion like it just scorched earth everything is in ruin but obviously as like we knew it would happen Harry catches the snitch from under Malfoy and they win and I love like the ending where like they realize that they've won and so all of them start flying into Harry and like hugging him and stuff Oliver hugs him like 
with tears in his eyes and I just think Oliver want, he achieved his goal he won the Quidditch Cup on his last year he could die in this moment and he'd be like fully fulfilled life I'm good <laughs> like it just reminds me of like I love the uh, team like hugs after like hockey games or just soccer games or any games when they like all the teams have like this big group hug when they win and I'm like oh it's so cute especially when it's like a game for the title or the cup or whatever and like yeah, like a big, like a big game. Yeah, like when Canada wins gold in like the Olympics or whatever. Like just full pandemonium, people on the ice crying, hats in the air, whatever else people. Oh yeah, it's very fun and it's like nice to see a moment where like it feels like there's a lot going on in Harry Potter at all times. There's like the base level of like their students, they have school, they have friend problems, and then there's like by the way, there's a murderer on the loose. By the way, there's also like notorious evil dark lord out there up to no good oh and an animal like and buckbeat situation there's so many levels of what's going on it's so rare they just get to purely exist in one moment and like one emotional state and in this it's like every part of their brain is happy excitement joy and like it's nice to see that yeah just some happiness you know something that feels a bit more like a general like 13 year olds time at school yeah like winning the champion just something happy like hagrid's happy mcgonagall's obviously over the moon. <laughs> and then Harry's there like, man, I wish there was a Dementor here. I'm so happy I sure show them. Yeah, he's like, I could do the best Patronus ever right now. Yeah, so overall, like, you know, a great ending to the chapter. No kind of shenanigans or crazy things happening yet. <laughs> but bad things are on their way. But the plot is... The plot is thickening. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to say, uh, we talked a bit about how Hermione slaps Malfoy and how he deserves anything, but um, I'm wondering, we'll talk about this when we watch the movie, but like, do you prefer him getting punched in the face like the movies does? Or do you think the slap was, was it enough? As someone who has hit someone in the face, hi Steph, love you. Um, I kind of, I kind of changed my mind partway through. I think I was going to punch her because I think that's more satisfying. But then I felt like that would involve more people getting in trouble. So I changed partway through to a slap and it was like a half closed hand slap. Not very effective. I think a punch is a lot more satisfying. I feel like to me, a slap is like very like old black and white film. A man has insulted a woman's honor and she's like, oh, slap. How dare you, sir? I am a proper lady. I would never show you my ankles, which is sort of how I picture a slap. But a punch is like, oh, heck no. Like, dropping the gloves, like, I don't know. It would hurt more. I think the slap fits in for Hermione's character, because this is kind of like the first kind of aggressive thing she's done. But I do think the Prisoner of Azkaban movie tries to make Hermione more of like this go-getter, all like female power, like feminist icon Hermione, which in the punch I think does fit with what they're trying to do and make her a bit more like, like the best female character ever. I was just thinking about that when I was reading it because I think for a long time I really liked the movie where they had her punch him because I feel like everyone grows up thinking a punch is like the most satisfying thing to do. But reading it, I think the slap does make sense for Hermione at this point. But do you have any other closing remarks before we wrap up? I would just like to say that I really enjoy reading the Quidditch scene, particularly this one. It's really well written. It really gets me into the game. And I would like to say that I bet Snape looks really nice in green. I just, uh, I love competitive McGonagall. Also, I love that Harry, Ron, Hermione have all made up now because that's less stress on me. I hate when they fight in the book. 
and it makes me sad. But uh, I'm glad they're all friends again and they're uh, teaming up together. I also love Hermione just like act, not acting like Hermione in this chapter, just being kind of like out of character. It's fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited, and we'll be back next time to discuss chapter 16 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Professor Trelawney's prediction. Remember to follow us on uh, social media at Potter Revisited, and you can email us at potterrevisitedpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye! <laughs>